Welcome everybody uh, to our virtual 67 Palmal. My name is Cecilia and I'm very, very happy tonight to introduce our friend Jasper Morris, Master of Wine. He will be here with us tonight explaining uh, how um, Molina Van into Beaujolais works. So do chat away at the site and don't forget to use our hashtag 67 from home in your photos on social media. So hello Jasper. Hello Cecilia and thank you for being our host tonight. Thank you so much. Ronan's had a busy day being filmed all over the place, so he's not with us. Uh, so instead it will be Cecilia on the controls and myself. And we're actually gonna put in one or two guests tonight, which uh, wasn't advertised, but I suddenly thought, I know so much about Moulin Vent, but there's always more to find out. And so uh, three of our producers are gonna be joining us this evening. Uh, so there's Edouard Parinet, who's in his car. There's Olivier Merlin. And a little bit later on, we will have uh, one more, uh, we hope. Fantastic. So, um, they are I, I'm going to kick off then with a little bit of um, introduction about Moulin Vent. If we can have the first general map, please. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So I've got a little map of the various different crews, because you know that there are originally nine, subsequently 10 different crew Beaujolais. Uh, and you can see them for a minute. You can see them on this, on this map. Um, so I'll just uh, do my usual thing and uh, uh, take control um, of the map. So we've actually got above this line, which wiggly line I'm going to draw, we have Santa Moore on the right and Julianas on the left uh, in quite mixed soils. Uh, but, and the rest of the crews are stretching out uh, down from, I can't see on the scale, but I'm going to draw a line around about there. And you can see that the great majority of them are in this reddish color, which indicates, indicates that the soil is um, granite and red sandstone. Uh, and that's the key to most of the Beaujolais. These are way older soils than we have further north in, in Burgundy. Um, and uh, whoops. We're getting a few, I think, Spanish mentions on that. Um, we need to lose that. Thank you. Can you see it there? Yeah, uh, thank Fantastic. you. That's good. Uh, and then heading on south from those first two, uh, we've got, we've still got, um, we still got your, I think it's a Spanish, I assume that's Spanish uh, uh, discussion on there. So we need to lose that. Just to map without anything else. That'll, that'll do nicely. Thank you. Uh, so we've had our first two um, up there, which I just mentioned. Um, across there. And then after that, we have um, Chenas and Moulin Vent, uh, the first two. So not Saint-Amour and Julienas, we've moved up. Then we have Chenas, uh, Moulin Vent, Fleury, Chirouble, that takes us to six. Uh, then Morgan, uh, Renier, which is the uh, last to be added. And after that, you have Côte de Brie and Brie. And in certain areas, you get a few other soils. You get bits of um, uh, blue clay and volcanic rock. You see it particularly up here in Julienas. You see it also a little bit in Morgan, and you see it in uh, Côte de Brie. So those are uh, the nine, now uh, 10 different crews. And for the longest time, Moulin Vent was regarded as number one. 
because it made the most age-worthy wines, it made the wines which are most suitable to be raised in barrel. Uh, and Morgon, perhaps a little bit of a challenger, uh, another appellation with slightly more tannic wines for long-lasting. And it changed during the 1980s when people seemed to want something that was more attractive and immediately more subtle style of wine. And Fleury suddenly took the number one spot for a bit and became a bit, little bit uh, higher priced, at least in the bulk terms. Obviously, individual producers can make their own choices. Um, and for the longest time, Fleury was number one. But things are moving back and Moulin Vent is regaining its top status. And I find it the most satisfying. I could say it's the most Burgundian of them. It's become Burgundian actually for more than one reason, because quite a few people from the Cote d'Or have now started investing in vineyards in Moulin Vent, and we'll be having at least a couple of those tonight. If we could move, please, to the, uh, the second map. We'll just need to clear away my things. So this is a map of Moulin Vent. Um, it doesn't mean much as it stands, but uh, I will um, introduce two aspects of it. Firstly, it's largely here in the commune of romanesh torin Sorry, not very good drawing. And partly in Chenas. Now, Chenas or Chenas has got its own, uh, I'm going to clear those, I didn't do those very well, uh, <coughs> has got its own appellation. But by that time, by the time they made that appellation, it already had a lot of its best vineyards stolen by Moulin Vent. Uh, so Chenin doesn't quite have the reputation which otherwise could have. But you can see this, this multiple uh, color scheme and the gray is a mixed scales and alluvial on the whole. Uh, and then the red in various forms are the granites and the sandstones. Uh, so mostly the great vineyards are on these sorts of soils. And in fact, the ones we're gonna have tonight are in order Pontier de Favre, uh, that's the first wine. Then we go to Champ de Cour, which is over here and is actually more of a mixed soil. After that, we will, wine number three is La Rochelle, which I should be in disgrace if I get this one wrong. Uh, so let me just follow it around. I think we have La Rochelle there. See if Olivier is nodding or not. Uh, Roche Grey, for some reason, isn't on my map, but I think he's very adjacent. I'm going to put it there for a moment and then uh, Olivier can tell me if, if we're wrong. Uh, and then what have I left out? Uh, oh, Les Grenerier, which is down there. Uh, and then there's also uh, an ancient, more than 100-year-old vines from Thibaut de Gébelin, and he's going to come on later and tell us where his vines are. So that's the background. Um, we can pop that up from, we can leave it there, I'll pop it up from time to time. And our first wine I'm going to talk about, because we don't have the winemaker, we did have him earlier on for a different Zoom. Uh, when we had three of the young stars, we had Léa Lafont, Mathieu Griveaux, and we had Clément Boyau. So this Moulin Vent is the name of the domain Louis Boyau, and it's um, uh, more his son Clément who's been running this uh, project. So it started maybe 2015, something like that. Um, Everything, of course, tonight is all going to be Gamay. Uh, and then you have two real choices um, in how you vinify it. You have many choices. But broadly speaking, are you going to do it in a more Burgundian fashion or are you going to do it in the Beaujolais way with more carbonic maceration and using the stems? So uh, our producers will tell us their thoughts on this. But we're starting with um, Louis Boyot's wine. And um, uh, Plantier de Favre, uh, you saw 
there on the screen just a, a, a few minutes ago. Uh, it's on a granite and red sandstone site. Um, in 2017, they only made two barrels because they got hailed. Many people got hailed in 2017, but we didn't have an older wine from them to fit in with the 2015 theme that we have in general tonight. Um, and so small crop, two barrels, and they de-stemmed it all, and they were very gentle with it. They didn't do much punching down, uh, and uh, they were very careful to use the sorting table, the vibrating table, to remove any damaged berries. So those of you who've got the wine selection, that's going to be your first wine, which I'm uh, holding up here. It's not a vineyard, as far as I know, which anybody else has singled out to do on its own. Um, all these wines are going to have reasonably similar colours. I haven't poured them all into glasses yet, but I've got all the samples standing in front of me. Uh, so we've got that lovely deepish purple colour you get from the Gamay grape. The Gamay uh, Noir uh, uh, is its uh, title. It has a friend, the Gamay Blanc, uh, which is um, the Muscadet grape, otherwise known as. So this is the... Um, Gamay Noir à jus blanc, because you, you almost always get white juice out of red grapes when you need the skins. Mm. So it's pretty heady stuff, pretty concentrated. The structure is a little bit more aggressive than it would be in a non-hailed year. Acidity is good. A little bit of um, uh, tannin in there. It's a wine which I think from the fruit perspective, you can actually probably tackle now if you wish to. Um, but from the structure perspective, I think I would like to keep this a while longer. And before the evening is out, we're gonna talk about various experiences with, with rather older wines. Um, but that's our, our kickoff tonight. Uh, on the map, you can see it was um, next to uh, a couple of other wines, which are well known as the Grenerier we're gonna have later on and also the uh, Claude Bron Cacolin, which we're not going to have from uh, Louis Jadot's Chateau de Jacques, because instead we're going to have a, uh, a different wine of theirs, their, their Roche Grey. So um, I will, and uh, 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 Maureen has asked which soil does Gamay show its best quality? Well, we may have other views on that, but <clears throat> clearly to me, it needs to have an acidic soil rather than an alkaline soil. So it's this granite with, with red sandstone. It's, it, it's the two together, really. But it's more interesting normally than the complex uh, alluvial soils. Having said that, if the best terroir in Morgan is probably the Côte du Pie, which is on volcanic um, uh, blue slate and clay soil for the most part. So it's not an absolute given. Where Camé is less interesting is when it's on um, limestone. So uh, it is rarely allowed further north, and you will remember um, the uh, phrase, the, the diktat of um, Duke Philip, who said, do not have this disloyal Gamay grape anywhere in my Dukedom of Burgundy. Well, it does work in Beaujolais, but uh, rarely in the Côte d'Or. Okay, well, I think we can move to wine number two, and um, very fortunate to have Edouard Parinet, from um, the Chateau de Moulinvon uh, with us. And his family took over at the Chateau de Moulinvon quite recently. If we have, Edouard, if you uh, want to uh, join us. Yes, of course. 
Hello, Hi, Edward. How are you? I'm I, really well, thank you. We've interrupted a journey, and you're sitting in your car somewhere by the side of the road. That's great. I, I like this kind of break. You don't uh, don't worry about me. I'm very happy to be part of the of the video and the Zoom, uh, Jasper. Great. Well, it's it's uh, very good to see you or hear you tonight. Um, so, when did your family take over at the Chateau de Moulinvent? Um, so, I actually activate my video now. It's uh, here. I am. Um, good evening, everyone. Uh, so we, my father took over the Chateau du Moulin Avant in 2009. So it's uh, now, yeah, 11 years that we are uh, uh, active with my, uh, with my family in, uh, in, the, in the domain. Right. And uh, so I know that you make, right from the start, you made quite a few single uh, vineyard wines. But I'll just refer back to an early conversation of ours when you wanted to introduce me to Chateau du Moulin Avant. You said you probably won't know this property. And I said, yes, I used to come visit in the early 80s, and I bought the 83 and the 85 vintage from uh, Monsieur Blude, your predecessor. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think you may still have some stocks back home, and one day we'll, we'll drink one together. Um, but tell us a little bit about this particular vineyard site, the Champ de Cours. So yes, Champ de Cours is uh, one of the five single vineyards we, we produce in the, in the domain. Uh, it's, um, it's a vineyard. So first of all, uh, the explanation of the name, uh, just like uh, the, the, the Chambertin was uh, the, the field owned by the family Bertin at the time, uh, Le Champ de Cour was uh, the field owned by the family de Cour uh, at uh, another time. Uh, it's good to remind that uh, Moulin Avant uh, is uh, planted uh, by vines mostly uh, just uh, recently, I would say for the last decades, but uh, there has been some uh, other cultures by the past. This is why there is a windmill actually. Huh? Uh, so this field was planted with different cultures and now definitely with, uh, with, with vines, uh, mostly. Uh, so this uh, single vineyard is, uh, this vineyard is actually uh, uh, one of them who was classified uh, uh, first class uh, by Mr. Butker in 1869. So right from the beginning, 150 years ago, it uh, had the reputation of being uh, one of the best of uh, the Moulin Avant AOC, just like uh, uh, La Rochelle, uh, Le, Le, Leveria, etc. It's actually the very, very uh, beginning of presence of clay, alluvion style of terroir of Moulin Avant, as you can see, uh, as we could see on the map. So it's definitely about granite, but here, uh, the, the soil is uh, pretty flat. The, the slope shall be 2% in, uh, in Chancourt. Um, and there is a good presence of clay uh, because of this alluvion style of soil. Uh, pretty deep also soils, huh? much deeper than on the granitic part, which is higher in altitude. It's uh, at an elevation of 220 meters, just at the foot of the hill where you have the windmill. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, we, we actually produce this terroir because it, uh, it makes uh, wines which have, a, uh, which have a, yeah, I think a, a very big specificity, a very elegant style of wine uh, we have with this, uh, this Chancourt. It's actually one of the individual Liardis, if I can use that expression, which quite a few people uh, uh, bottle apart. So as well as you, there's also the uh, Richard Rottier does it. Uh, Thibault Ligier-Bellard does it, and uh, another Edouard Domaine Le Bruyère does it. And I'll just mention, incidentally, uh, on the holding screen and also on our website, there was that picture of the windmill of Moulinvent with the vines in front, 
and that's the Clos de Moulin Vent, which belongs to the Domaine La Bruyere. So uh, I apologize to Edward, that Edward that we've used his picture of his vineyard without putting his wine up today in the selection, but with only six wines, we couldn't do them all. Okay, so um, do incidentally, we're not gonna keep Edouard very long as he needs to continue his journey. So if anyone's got any questions specifically for him, then put them on the chat or in the question and answer. Uh, and while that goes on, Edouard obviously hasn't got his wine in front of him. Uh, he can't drink and drive. Uh, so I, I do have, and it's 2015 vintage, which is one of the richest in recent years uh, in Beaujolais. And we all need to decide, do we like richer vintages or do we want to have uh, quieter, gentler vintages? Uh, and these are, um, so this shows it. You can see that the grapes are clearly ripe, but Gamay can cope with that a little bit better than an overripe Pinot can, because overripe Pinot, you start to get some cook flavors and, and the Gamay manages it much, much better. Um, just while I taste it, uh, Edouard, we have a, a question from Deborah who wants to know where your wines are available in the UK. Uh, yeah, so the wines are available at uh, Flint Wines. Uh, they also are available at uh, Liberty Wines and the Wine Society. We have these three partners for the distribution of the wine in, uh, in the UK. So you have the choice. Excellent. Good, 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 good. Um, so Maureen also would like to know um, the style of the wine. Um, she's got the tasting samples. So have you followed a more Burgundian style rather than carbonic? I think I know the answer to that, but, but please tell us. Yeah, of course. Uh, so the winemaking at Chateau du Moulin Avant has no carbonic, 0%. It's a winemaking which is, uh, which is uh, very soft, so pretty long uh, duration in the tanks uh, from uh, around 20 days uh, of, uh, of cuvaison uh, in, uh, in Chateau du Moulin Avant. Uh, it's, uh, in 2015, Chancourt uh, has seen 35% of wall bench. Uh, the rest is distanned. Uh, it's important to notice that in Moulin Vent, when you, when, you, when you look at the yield uh, report of uh, the various crews, uh, Moulin Vent and Chena are very low in yields. I would say uh, uh, probably around uh, 40 hectoliters per hectare. Uh, and uh, uh, it's important to have in mind that uh, wall bunch uh, for us in Moulin Vent, in Chateau du Moulin Vent, cannot be used too much because otherwise we would have too much uh, vegetal part and too less uh, fruit part. So the ratio on a hot vintage like 15, uh, it's also the case in 18, it's uh, between 30 and 40%. Um, I think actually, you know, in Moulin Vent, what is very important uh, to have in mind is that it's a very uh, diverse appellation. I think, uh, Jasper, uh, tonight yes. you will have the occasion to show that with all the, the wines of, uh, of, uh, of the vintners. We have 69 UOD uh, in total. And historically, traditionally, uh, in Moulin Vent, people, uh, vintners, have preferred to use uh, uh, traditional winemaking to show this diversity uh, rather than use a carbonic maceration or semi-carbonic maceration which will uh, probably show more the, the primary aromas of Gamay. So we are no carbonic, we are traditional winemaking to show uh, this diversity, to produce this single vineyard of uh, Chancourt, Rochelle, Verilla, and Claude Londres, noticeably. This is, uh, this is the choice we, we, we make in the Chateau. Wonderful. So um, that wine is really showing very well indeed. I think it's you can begin to drink that now, I think. Uh, I really do believe in the ability of the Moulin Vents to age a long time. And one of the things which I have regularly done in my own cellar 
Um, I'm fortunate enough to have space to keep things at home, so I'm not having to pay storage charges, but I love to keep the sorts of wines which other people don't keep. So it could be Red Oise, it could be Beaujolais, it could be uh, all sorts of things anyway. Um, and uh, I still have some uh, Beaujolais back from, uh, from, that I bought myself from, uh, I suppose, back as far as 2005. And a friend of mine found at auction some, uh, I think they were Chateau de Moulinvent, Beaujolais from 62 and 64. And he kindly gave me a bottle of the 64 and we shared together a bottle of 62, which is a great, great year in the, in, in the region. And, and they were magical. So, um, uh, yeah. Uh, and I don't know if uh, our friend Paul, who's normally listening in, the principal of his college in Oxford, used to be an absolute uh, fanatic about old Beaujolais. And whenever he had people around for a dinner, that was what you would get. Great. Yes, we have, I don't think we have other questions for you now, but thank you for those uh, excellent answers and uh, continue your journey safely and we will see you another time. Yeah, thank you very much, Jasper, for inviting me. Uh, enjoy Moulin Vent. Uh, be, uh, yeah, that's, uh, these wines, uh, they have uh, definitely ageability. The 15 is, uh, I think, Brilliant. the best vintage for cellaring uh, for the recent years. So enjoy them. Have a good And, and 18 thank you as well. And, and 18, 18 as well, yeah, still, definitely. In fact, we just, I've just been asked, uh, do you have a, a sort of a curve? What's the ideal moment for a good vintage? Is there a real sort of sweet spot? Five-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old? So I would say, you know, on the, on the weak vintage, like 17 or 12 for us, I would say it's uh, from two to 10 years. Uh, uh, normal vintage, like uh, 16, uh, like 14, I would say three to uh, 15. Uh, and uh, for the for the best vintage like 15 18 i would say from 5 to 25 30 years that would be my uh, my guess uh, but uh, yeah for the best vintage the 15 noticeably i really anticipate uh, the 20 25 30 years of uh, of ageability uh, right. i've been showing actually last year in uh, in 2019 some uh, magnums of 89 which uh, showed uh, terribly just like your 62 jasper so mm -hmm. You know, if you want to play with Moulin Vent, you can be curious, you can sell them, and you can uh, really have fun after a long, long time also. Brilliant. Uh, I absolutely agree. And being English, I keep them for longer rather than for shorter. Thank you, Edouard, and we'll see you another time. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you very much, Jasper. Thank you to all of Thanks. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Well, we will move on now to uh, number three wine. Uh, we also have a guest. Um, I can embarrass him by saying one of my favorite human beings, Mr. Olivier Merlin, along with his wife, Corinne, um, who I've known them both uh, for a long, long time. For when I was back being a, an importer, I bought their, their first vintage when they set up in the Maconnais in La roche Finneuse was 1987. And uh, I didn't learn about them until the following year, but I bought their 88s and, and everything since. Uh, and I'm just going to pour some wine into the glass. Um, the first vintage of Moulin Vent was 2000, which I think, I don't think that was this vineyard, but I'm going to ask Olivier, are you with us? Join in, unmute yourself. Can we have Olivier? Yep. Yes, we can. Okay. Hello, Olivier. Hello. Hello. Can we see you as well as hear you? Yes. yes. Can. Good. You... <clears throat> It's the same color my face normally is, but <laughs> you've been out in the Red vineyards face, like, working. Like a, a nice glass of uh, Moulin Vent. 
Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So which year did you first make the uh, La Rochelle? So 2006. So we bought right. the vineyard uh, in 2006. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, uh, it's uh, quite a, a big spot because it's one hectare in one spot. And uh, the vineyard was planted uh, in 1937. Uh, very lot of um, vines. It's uh, around 13,000 uh, vines per hectare. So very, very tight. Oh, and you do it, you do everything by hand, not making yes. And the vineyard um, is uh, plowing by horse also mm -hmm. since the beginning. And uh, because we want to keep all the uh, you know, with tractor, we can do with tractor, but we will destroy quite a lot of uh, uh vines. So we, we decide in 2006 to do by horse and uh, we continue like that. And if I'm right in, in saying so, I think you have to work that vineyard very well because you have somebody who overlooks the vineyard and uh, <laughs> there's a famous Michel, French journalist. Michel Betan, Michel Betan is uh, our neighbor, yes. <laughs> because yes. Uh, this part of La Rochelle is a, uh, La Rochelle go um, a little bit uh, down, you know, also the, the beginning of La Rochelle is quite flat. And uh, La Rochelle go over the road of Chena to Fleury, and our spot is just under Rochegray. It's right. very, it's the limit of Rochegray. Okay. Um, yes, so these are two of the favorite uh, Moulin Vent terroirs, and we're going to have both tonight, Rochelle and Rochegray, sort of on the way up towards the, the, the crest, which then leads into Fleury, the other side. Yeah, so the, the soil is very, uh, there is no clay here, only sands, uh, no organics, also things. Um, and um, I think uh, we've, uh, we did a big uh, hole in, uh, in the vineyard, I think that's six, seven years ago. And uh, under 70 centimeters, you find uh, big rocks, we call grey. And uh, these rocks are very, very strong uh, when they are underneath. And if you take these rocks uh, on the air, um, after a few days of rain, sunshine, let's go with sand. So it's, it's very, very special soil, very, very poor. Mm. And uh, we find big roots under uh, four meters down, we still find big roots. So the roots go very, very deep. A couple of people are asking sort of winemaking questions. So perhaps you could just talk through the, uh, the basic technique of uh, how the wines are made. This wine is made at any rate. So the, we, are, we, we are not like uh, Chateau du Moulin-Avant. We are wood cluster 100% almost all the time. Uh, not um, in uh, 2017 we, with air, we have a lot of air, so we decided to distem 100%. But normally, I think since 2006, only 2017 was distem. Okay. But the, the, the maceration is quite short. It's between 12 to 13, 14, maximum 14 days. And um, we, 
we never have very uh, quite a lot of uh, green things because we try to uh, pick with a very big maturity. So we always try to pick around 13.5 uh, uh, potential uh, alcohol. Yes. And then afterwards, the, you age it for quite a long time and in burgundy barrels, yes? Yes, yeah. So, so the fermentation is in the big vats, wood, wooden yes. vats, so closed vats. And um, after pressing, we decant in stainless steel. And after that, we go to barrels, uh, traditional uh, pièce, bourguignon. No, no new wood because... Uh, uh, you know, it's completely different with uh, uh, if you compare to Pinot Noir because Pinot Noir generally new wood uh, go very well, but with in in, uh, in my point of view, the gamay don't go very well with uh, new wood. So uh, at the beginning we start in 2006 with a little bit of new wood, but very very quickly we saw that's not going very well. And uh, I think starting 2009, there is no new wood in, uh, in this wine. Well, it's drinking absolutely beautifully at the moment, I can, I can say. It's very, uh, right. I mean, the, the, the fruit of the 2015s is just so, I, I, Olivier has got a whole bottle of it to, uh, to enjoy. The rest of us <laughs> has got samples. We're Cheers. Going to share it with Corinne and the family. No, but that's, so the, the 2015, it's um, quite uh, strange. We, we had quite a lot of grapes, but the grapes with the driest, well, the, the, the juice was very, very small and the, um, the yield was very, very small. Because also La Rochelle, there is a lot of wind. All the time there is uh, wind, all the time. So uh, there is a kind of deshydratation in 2015, so we get a little bit less than 20 hectoliters per hectare. So very, very low crop. Mm. But you know, the tannin are quite soft. They are not sharp, they are not uh, aggressive. They are quite soft, but this wine will improve a long, long time, probably. Okay. And your wines in the UK are available uh, through Berry Brothers, anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, uh, residual from uh, my career way back when. Um, so this wine, again, a similar question to what we asked Edouard, when everything is, is sort of resolved and together, when, when would be your ideal drinking time for fruit ends and barrel all to be resolved? You know, it's this wine, I think, first of all, it's good to decant before uh, before uh, dinner or before uh, lunch, because uh, the, the, um, the Gamay uh, grapes is a little bit similar with uh, Syrah. It's always a lot of reduction. So it's always very good to, to give some air before before serving. So, but... Uh, you know, right now it's it's good, but for me, if you had uh, five to 10, 15 years, that's no problem. That will be, for me, much better. But the evolution of uh, La Rochelle is always very, very slow, very slow. So it's, you know, if you taste uh, two years um, uh, more, you will have quite similar things, 
the evolution is very, very slow. The, the characteristic of this terroir. So you can age a long, long time. If your cellar is fresh, humid, you can age a very long time for me. I'm drinking your 2009 at the moment is the vintage. Yeah. 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 And I still have a little bit of 2007 as well. So. That's good. Good. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Olivier. Well, thank you us. and uh, cheers to everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Enjoy the rest thank of your you. bottle and, yeah. and we'll continue with ours. <laughs> Stay with us if you wish. Yeah. Wonderful. Any other questions for Olivier or have we, I think we've covered uh, what he has to offer. Thank you so much, Olivier. And uh, I will pass on to the next one. Maybe if we could, could we have the map back, uh, Cecilia? And then Olivier, just tell me if I've got um, Roche-Gray in the right place. Because uh, I was surprised it isn't actually named on the map. No, that's not in the right place, I think. It's not in the right place. Okay, no. well, we'll just get the map back and you can, uh, you can tell me where it should be. Here we go. So... Um, La Rochelle, I think, I hope I did, uh, hang on a sec, I hope I did have correctly, and... So you have the road of uh, Chenave to Fleury, here. Okay. Which comes down here, that's this road here. Um, so there's your La Rochelle, is that right? No, it's a little bit um, uh, on the bit. left, and over the road, over the, the road. Other side of the road. Yeah. About there? Yes, about that. Okay, and then Roche-Gray then must be the next. It's over. Uh, it's on the left. There or? A little bit down, down. A little bit down from there, okay. Yeah. So you're cuddling you up You see the, the house of uh, Michel Betan, it's here, so. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I put the arrow on top of uh, yeah. Betan's house. Yeah, right. it's... Here. It's the one with the green shutters if you're driving past. <laughs> okay. Well, Olivier, thank you very much for that. Thank you. Next up, we have the Clos de Roche Gray, which is, um, yeah, we'll put what I'll do now. Is, uh, as you know, I like to use hearts quite a bit. So we've had the Plantier de Favre, which is here. We've had the Champ de Cour, which is here. We have had uh, Olivier's wine, which is there. And now we're going to have the Clos de Roche Gray from Jadot, who um, uh, have sort of come down from further north uh, from their bone headquarters. And they've actually changed a little bit the way they train the vines. So they're more in rows, whereas the classic Beaujolais uh, style, which uh, Olivier and Corinne definitely have maintained, is to have freestanding plants. Sure, but they're still in rows, uh, rather than higgledy-piggledy all over the place but uh, each vine is freestanding in its old traditional gobelet style. So it's, it's a bush vine in, uh, in Australian speak. And I understand uh, that Jado have trained theirs a little bit more on wires. So it's, uh, it's not quite the, the old style of Beaujolais that's being used. Um, okay, I'm going to... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll lose the map again for now. We can come back to it again later um, and return to our wines. So I haven't put any in a glass yet. I will do that. Got to find it first of all. Here we are, Chateau de Jacques. So Jadot are pretty smart people. Um, and know what they're doing politically and commercially as well as just vinously. And one of the ways that they have added to their possible offer 
is with businesses which continue under their own names, but are part of the shadow empire. So we had, when we did the Puy Frise Zoom, we had um, Domaine Ferré, J.A. Ferré. Um, and now uh, for Moulin Vent, we have the Chateau des Jacques, which is very, very well distributed. So in an awful lot of restaurants, this is a, a fail-safe choice if you, um, A, if you want to drink it uh, as your first choice, but also um, there are uh, a number of lists where this for me is sort of the value wine to go for when the choice of Burgundy domains or Bordeaux or whatever else um, isn't quite what you're looking for. So um, here we have uh, 2015, um, Claudia Roche Grey. Um, they also have the Claudia Grand Carcalin. It's a little bit higher up than uh, where Olivier Merlin's uh, wine is. Only, I mean, it's only a little bit um, because we're all a long way higher up. And Champ de Corps was about 220 meters above uh, sea level. And uh, here we've gone to, um, they tell me in fact, exactly 361 uh, above sea level. And I think um, the Merlin's is 280. So yes, we're, we're continuing to rise up the slope. Just have to check my figures there for a minute. Early soon. Good evening, Thibaut. We'll look forward to having your wines later on, on, on the way. Good. So um, this is a wine which sees um, the, the grapes are, are destemmed, not entirely. So we've gone back to something which is probably closer to um, the uh, Chateau de Moulin avant style of winemaking, further away from Olivier's. I mean, Olivier's, as you remember him saying, was entirely um, uh, with the whole bunches. And uh, I don't have from Jado an age of the vineyard here, but I know that they did a fair amount of, of replanting um, when they uh, took on this property. So it's probably going to be a mixed range of ages. Uh, that makes up this wine. Uh, I think that the uh, wood is perhaps a tiny bit more uh, evident um, in this, and maybe uh, in the case of the Olivier Merlin wine, the stems were um, militating against that. Um, but like all the 2015s, it's a rich wine, it's a powerful wine, it's a wine with a long future ahead of it. Uh, the grapes are clearly ripe, I'm actually quite pleased with how they're all showing tonight, because there was a moment when the 2015s seemed to be taking on too much power, too much weight, uh, and losing um, a little bit of the sort of purity of the gamay from this from this great soil. But now I think they're sort of coming back into the room and uh, and developing um, uh, better. So um, Maurice asked if the Burgundian influence is more for international appeal. Not really. I think Moulin Vent has always lent itself to uh, to this much more than the the others. I mean, classically, what one has said about um, good Beaujolais as they age, as they say, sapinot that takes on a, a Pinot character. I think it is naturally a part of this appellation that it does seem to become more Burgundian. It, it is clearly the most Burgundian. Um, you see bits of it in Julianas. Morgan, even though it takes on the age and it can Pinot a little bit. It still seems to have its own Morgon character that doesn't really want to be part of Burgundy. Um, Saint-Amour and Julienas, the other side of the river, 
they have, Centimore hasn't quite worked out what it wants to be, and there are quite a few different soils. Incidentally, I was rather shocked by um, a, a vigneronne who I met the other day, um, tasting some of her Macron Beauchelet wines, and she confessed that her husband, who is a local from down there, she's from further afield, proposed to her. He took her out to dinner in the Paradis restaurant in Saint-Amour on St. Valentine's Day and proposed to her. I mean, how corny is that? And she said, yes, so it worked anyway. Um, I'm careful not to name any names here, but uh, well done the two of them. They're making some really nice wines. Um, so this, in any case, then is the Chateau des Jacques uh, version of their 2015 Moulin Bon. I haven't uh, disturbed any of the, um, uh, the Jadot team um, for this evening because um, I felt we wouldn't have time to speak to all six of the winemakers. Um, we got one or two comments. Mark is saying that how, what good hosts they are and uh, very much that you know, they're very professional people. They know exactly how to look after you. Um, so make a call when you, when you go by. Right, now I shall move gently on to uh, wine number five. Again, I don't have, I'm not sure if they speak English in the Jeanne family. It's uh, fifth generation now, the sort of the great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather started the business in 1918. He'd had a few vines, he was a barrel maker, did a few other things. From 1918, he said, right, I'm just going to concentrate on the wine now, it's more fun. Uh, and then they bought one of their key vineyards, the Clos de Tremblay, uh, in um, 1937, the year that the uh, uh, Rochelle Vignard was uh, planted from there. So obviously it was a time when things were going on. Uh, and then in 1952, he uh, or his son really started uh, domain bottling. So from that moment, the Genaz got on the, on the circuit, making their wine. Uh, their best known wine, they used to call Clos de Tremblay, but then the authorities said, well, actually, no, you can't do that because it doesn't quite correspond with where the lines are drawn. And so in more recent years, they changed it to Les Grenariers. Um, have I got enough syllables in that? Grenariers, yes, I have. Uh, which is actually, um, if we could just have the map back for a minute, uh, it's the furthest downslope of the major terroirs um, because the Genin domain is down in uh, Romanesh-Torin. Um, Cecilia, maybe have the map back, if we could. Thank you. So it's um, this one down uh, here. But you can see it's an outcrop of the darker uh, purple color of the real you know, um, mainstream granite. Um, you do get a little bit more further down here. So uh, the, the domain itself is approximately where the X is. Um, I may not have drawn that absolutely spot on, uh, but that gives you an idea. And I got to know these people when I was doing a wine tasting for the World of Fine Wine magazine. And they had this series called Per Se, when we endeavor to um, look at all the different terroirs within an appellation to see if we can genuinely tell the difference between one terroir and another, um, independent of um, the style of the winemaker. So we do those tastings scenes so that we can discount if we happen to know a winemaker uses a particular technique, 
but then we go through a particular vineyard uh, or appellation rather and try and look at uh, where the differences in terroir are clear whoever is the producer and on that occasion uh, I think 2009 was the vintage um, in play I really admired um, Paul Genin's um, Le Crenerier or then it was Clos de Tremblay so I went to visit him on the next uh, fly past um, that was shipped, I think, by Domain Direct, so we'll probably now be part of Flint Wines, but there may be other sources uh, in the UK. Now, this is, uh, the reason I put this as wine number five is it's the second oldest um, vineyard. Uh, the vines which uh, the great-grandfather was working with were planted before 1914. We don't have the exact date. They do have some more recent ones, but I think in this cuvee, it is basically uh, the 1914 and earlier um, uh, vines. So uh, I will um, surrender surrender the map for the moment, but we'll come back to it later on. And um, thank you. Uh, we will now taste this wine. Something else. So normally down at the bottom there, you get more clay-rich wines. And the problem is uh, a layer of clay here probably isn't pure granite, but the underlying rock is the granite. And with these ancient vines, look how deep that color is if you have the wine selection. It's a very powerful wine. Um, I have all of those of us who have got the bottles. I can tell you that the first wine was labeled at 13%. Remember that these can have a tolerance of up to half a percent. The second wine was labeled at 13%. Mr. Merlin has been uh, very honest and labelled his at 14.5. Uh, 14 for uh, Chateau de Jacques. This is also labelled at 14.5 and to me does taste as the richest uh, in degree of anything we've had so far. And uh, when we come to Thibaut, uh, we will have a look at his. Um, but, hmm, gosh. So this is made, we didn't, I haven't talked that much about sort of who's organic and who isn't. I don't think this domain is specifically organic, but they do work by plowing the soil and without um, uh, pesticides and herbicides. And Livia Manor isn't officially organic, but also he does work with exactly that sort of care and environmental uh, protection. Um, and I believe the others do too, but I'm just looking. Uh, I don't have a, um, any specific information. I'm not aware of anybody so far who is actually certified uh, organic in this, uh, uh, in this range. So this was an August harvest for uh, Paul Jenner on the 30th of August. Um, everything then gets brought in. They do a tree on the top of the tree uh, and then uh, they vinify entirely in whole bunch. But the richness of the wine sort of, those of you who are used to whole bunch uh, Pinot Noirs, um, it's a little bit uh, less obvious in this style of wine because the richness of the fruit is taking over. I think that's um, showing very nicely. It can carry, so we've had two 14.5s and from what I've seen some comments on the side of my own take, I think Gamay can carry this. Uh, maybe if you get to 15, maybe you've gone too far, but uh, I don't want my Pinots at uh, this degree. Um, when Thibaut comes on board, we're going to ask his opinion on those, those, those points as well. I see some more questions coming up. I'll just see if we have any questions which relate to this wine. Uh, and then after that, we'll move to the next one. Ah. 
Daniel wants to know how I would distinguish Moulin Vent from red burgundy on a blind tasting. Well, these, we, I said it pinoted, but it's not the same very fragrant style of pinot. It's a mature, rich pinot, but you do get some different forms of tannins here, I would say, uh, the soil being very different. It becomes harder to pick out an old Beaujolais. You might, in your first thing, very first thinking, say, okay, perhaps we've got a Beaujolais, uh, we've got a burgundy here. Then you start looking for where it could be and you get a little bit of extra weight and richness, a little bit of extra power. So you start thinking, no, maybe it's not a classic. I can't find Cote de Marie, I can't find Cote de Bone. Where could I have gone wrong? And then you think, aha, maybe with this weight of fruit profile, um, we maybe are looking at something else. Um, and, and then you, you could get there. Uh, Jeremy's asked from what glass I should drink a Beaujolais, and I've decided to go with the um, uh, Zalto Pinot Noir glasses, which, as you know by now from listening to me before, tend to accentuate acidity and uh, they soften tannins. Given that we've got such a rich vintage and we have naturally more tannins than acidity in many of the Beaujolais, um, the Gamay elsewhere, a, 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 a sort of um, a less classical Gamay appellation will give you quite high acid, but I felt that uh, that would work very well here. And that sweet note in the Jena is, is actually the ripeness, uh, I would say. Okay, uh, any more comments on the wines we have? Thus far, if not, I shall introduce my third guest of the evening, um, one of Greater Burgundy's most eloquent uh, speakers about wine, one of the great winemakers too, whether it's Pinot Noir, uh, Aligoté, uh, I think there's a Chardonnay or two in the range, but there's plenty of Gamay. And Thibaut, I'm correct, you actually trained originally, you went to wine school in, in the Beaujolais, in Belleville, is that not right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I finished my study in Beaujolais, and, uh, and it was uh, 96, 97. And I've, uh, I finished my study, it was a BTS, so it, uh, it was my last study. And the, every time I rent a very small place in the Beaujolais, and I opened the window on a beautiful uh, hill of Beaujolais, and it was so beautiful, but I always keep in my mind that why the view is so beautiful and the wine was little bit so-so, it was in 96, 97, and I keep in the part of my head to do something in the Beaujolais in the future. And it's also right that you actually have an ancestor who had a domain down there in the 19th century? Uh, the, 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 yes, exactly, that the, the, the family um, um, create, uh, had vineyard in Beaujolais in the, in the 19th century and also a little bit uh, after, in the middle of 20th century, and we still have some Ligebeler in Fleury, especially in Fleury, in the area called Le Vivier. So it's a beautiful place, but it was a part, my grandfather and his, um, his uh, um, uh, brother share one of the part of New Saint-Georges and one at the part of Beaujolais. But in the 30s, it was exactly the same value. It's why that yes, they had yes, and to, and it was uh, like a, a, good, a good share for the people in the Beaujolais because they are a little bit more uh, superficie versus burgundy uh, was a little bit less superficie. It was uh, a sort of equity. So here's the difficult question then, Thibault. Are you going to bring your Nuit Saint-Georges prices down to Beaujolais? Are you going to raise your Beaujolais prices up to Nuit Saint-Georges or will you keep them both where they are at the moment? Well, 
I think the it's to be very honest, it's a really better deal to buy a Beaujolais uh, at the same price than my Bourgogne, and you are really much more terroir for the same price than my Moulavo. So. The, to answer exactly to your question, my answer is no. <laughs> but no for what? No for Nuit Saint-Georges or no for Beaujolais? I try, I think the, the price of the Beaujolais, uh, of the Moulin Avant especially, and some Cru du Beaujolais, it's too low. And it's not a question to increase the price. It's just to put the price at the level of the, of the quality of the wine and to try to make a sort of burgundy model in the, in the Cru du Beaujolais. I'm only in Moulavant, I produce six different wines, and in my range, I taste the, all the six different wines, like I taste the Burgundy with Bourgogne, Village, Premier Cru, and Grand Cru. And they are one to follow with another one, and they are a real hierarchy between the different terroirs. And we just have to show this the same uh, level in the level of price, and not to push to, to just show it's not a question of money or not. It's just to show that we can produce some very quality wine. And if you have to pay a, a Cru du Beaujolais at a bigger price, just just taste the wine and understand why you pay this price. Yes. Um, uh, I mean, I think the, the smart way of looking at it is you can try and keep something which is more of an entry-level wine, which doesn't change too much in price. And then you can get the value back as the producer by having better prices for your individual single vineyards. And it's one of the problems in the region has been that several of the really, really good producers who have been listed for several generations in the classic French three-star restaurants, they've hardly moved their price up at all. They haven't had to buy anything. They haven't had to reinvest. So they've actually been able to make a living keeping their prices as low as they were. I, I actually checked back. Um, I was clearing through in, in this room uh, here where I've got way too much baggage all over the place. And I found some of my uh, correspondence of my early days as a wine importer from the early 1980s. And I realized that the price from one producer in Fleury and one in Morgan, they're almost the same today as they were 30 years ago for their regular cuvee. Now, oh, yeah. I hope that they're making some money on some special cuvees too. But the problem is, if you get the classic producers doing that, then how can a young guy come to the region and get installed and uh, actually turn a profit? Now, they found a way with the sort of the hip natural movement. I mean, Thibaut, if you and I went along to that Bois en Beaujolais um, uh, event that they have, we would be the only two people, the only two men in, uh, in the entire show of quite a few hundred people who'd actually shaved. Uh, all the rest would be uh, either sort of furry at the edges or beards, moustaches, whatever. Uh, it's definitely a sort of a hip happening place. And that is a way with more natural wines that some people have managed to uh, get an audience for what they're doing. Mm. This is a region which is undervalued. It doesn't mean to say that I want to see vastly higher prices, but I do want to make sure that everybody can earn a living and that the world understands that there's some special wines here in the Beaujolais and that the individual terroirs do matter and do make a difference. And I'll just finish on this particular um, uh, course of discussion before we come back to Thibault and his wine. At the moment, the major crew have got to decide how they want to differentiate their special terroirs, because there are two ways they can go. They can either go down a future premier crew system, in which case you have to have very special, narrowly delimited areas, or they can go down um, a wider climate system, 
which is sort of where Morgon has gone at the moment, that says, all this big area can be called Côte de Pie, this area can be called Charm, this area is called Corselet, and so on. It means that you're in a geographic area and there's a general style, but you're not limiting yourself to the bits which really have the special extra for that part. And Thibaut, I don't know if you have an opinion on that for Moulin Vent. Do you think we should be pushing for Premier Cruise or do you think just a more general? I just want to come back a little bit uh, in the past. Before to create the domain in Moulin Vent, I find a very old price list uh, of my family from 1911. So the seven, eight and nine vintage. And this price list was so interesting because when I'm looking at the, the, the wine I still produce in Burgundy, like for example, Von Romanet Aurea, it was 300, 300 francs. And the price of the Moulin Avant was 300 francs too, exactly the same price in 1911. So it's very interesting to understand the history between what happened in the, at the beginning of the last century of the 20th century and uh, the 90s, the early 90s. I have here a, oops, I'm sorry, Dan, I apologize. No, it was the right way up. I don't know if you can see that. No, it comes back to front on the screen perhaps, but that's a 1909 Berry Brothers price list. I'm sure if you, um, you probably can't ring them up to get this. If you wrote them a letter in an old fashioned quill pen, they might honor the same prices, the same vintages, if they still have the wines. I'll have a look. Uh, somebody wants to know where they can buy your wonderful wines. Such depth, very, very fruity, fabulous. Where can I buy in the UK? And what would you eat with this delicious wine? So there are two questions. Where can they buy it in the UK and what would you eat with it? So um, where you can buy the, the, the wine in, uh, in UK, they are the, the major, my major importer is Berry Brother and also Flint Wine and Lienzen Man. Um, and what eat uh, with Beaujolais? Uh, a lot of things common to Pinot Noir. There are no huge difference and in terms of pairing. Um, I think you, you can uh, make something. Uh, we like Beaujolais to have the tradition to welcome the people to, to do something simple, a piece of, uh, of chicken. We are not too far from breast chicken. Uh, and also the famous machon. Uh, if, the, if the machon, machon, it's uh, the piece of, uh, of uh, ham, uh, saucisson, uh, nice cheese. Um, but also me, I like to just to, to make a, um, a veal coat, for example, and very juicy. Um, I, I love food with the, uh, I can't lie, and uh, and just uh, <laughs> and but what is interesting with the, the Moulavon and also the Gamay is always very refreshing, refreshing wine. And even if you open the 15 today and you see the the, the, the maturity of the 15, and you can feel the acidity and the freshness of the wine is still there. And so it's why when you have acidity and freshness you can make so many pairings with, with this wine. And the wine would never be just too high versus the food, if the food is good and simple. But always simple foods, not something too complicated. Hmm. Yes, I think that we may be having um, some, um, what are those sausages called that you get out of Montbéliard sausages yeah. and lentils tonight, which could go really well with this. Uh, so tell us a little bit about these, we call it um, Vino Septcentenaire, so we know that it's more than 100 years old. Tell us more about A, where the vineyards are, and B, the age of the vines, and how you got to get them in the first place. 
Well, it's it's a funny story for this uh, vineyard because I've uh, I've purchased this vineyard uh, without to know uh, what was this vineyard. Um, I've purchased this vineyard in 2011, and also uh, I've purchased some other vineyard to the same main. This man was 80 years old in 2011, and uh, he, he produced his uh, his vine uh, with a very uh, interesting way because. He worked with ants and no herbicides. So, and he had a very small notebook with all the name of the different parcels and the superficie. And it just showed me the, the, the best parcel. And I said, but I want to see all your parcels. And I see on your notebook that you have three of the parcels. You don't show me. Why? Say, no, it's, it would be not honest to show you this parcel because it's too old. A lot of vine is missing. But I would like to see this parcel, please. And we are arriving in front of one of the parcels. And, uh, and of course, a lot of vine missing. But you know, in Beaujolais, it's a goblet prune and we have some horns and some horns was very, very long. And I've started to count the, the, the scar of pruning. And after 120 scars of pruning, I say, I asked to him, but all this is possible. And his, his answer was perfect. Remember, eight years old. And he said to me, I don't know, but I know this parcel, when I was young, this parcel was old. So, and I've understood that this parcel was a very old parcel. And also I always have in my car, a small peak. And I begin to go in the vineyard in the, around some vine to make a hole and to see uh, the side of the, of the vine because it was quite difficult to see outside. Just the, the horn was very long, but a little bit thin sometime. And outside, inside the soil, the vine was close to 40 centimeters, 40 centimeters uh, high, large. And I've begun to, to see that I haven't seen any graft. You know, when we have the graft, we have the rootstock and the graft. And every time when you have some rootstock, you can see the point of graft. And it was not the case for this vine. So in the Chenau, we have a very uh, interesting uh, place where we have all the register of the old plantation in, in Beaujolais and especially in Chena and Moulin-Avant. And Chena, because Moulin-Avant is not a village, it's uh, the village of Chena or Romanes-Torras. And I find the, 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 the date of plantation of the three parcels because it, this Vigny Centenaire, it's a blend of three parcels, all planted between 1870 to 1880. So it was planted before the phylloxera. I've decided to don't replant any new vines, so we produce approximately between two to four barrels for half an hectare every year. And uh, we do, uh, we keep 60% whole bunch, it depends. And, uh, but we do, we produce only in Magnum. Okay, so, uh, and, yeah, only in Magnum, thank you, because we had a question about that. Uh, and in terms of what you do with whole bunch for your other cuvées, do you do more or less compared to this? I do something very different. Uh, I keep a little bit more or whole cluster, a little bit more old bunch, but we we distem by hand. We do, we do um, oh, yeah. uh, we distem by hand for the distem, and also we we remove the main trunk of the stem with a scissor. So we have the main trunk, and we cut one by one with a scissor just to remove the main trunk and to have only some what we call the small grapes. So we call in French grapillon. So to, to have a part of whole cluster without too much green material. And my idea was to make a sort of uh, enzymatic fermentation inside skin maceration uh, to have a little bit more finesse because we don't do uh, any pigeage for this wine. We do a very, very long vinification close to one month without any, 
any punching down. So I just want to to have the best fruit, but to don't have any vegetal side in the wine, but just a little bit of vegetal to refreshing the wine. Um, so, uh, I've talked a little bit about um, uh, uh, exactly uh, you know, what I feel at Moulinvon, why I think it is the top one, and we compared it with Fleury. Somebody on the chat has just been talking about trying some great Fleuries, which are around 12% alcohol. And uh, you know, here we are. Uh, your wine instant is labeled at 13%. Is that about right, or is it um, probably a little bit above that? No, <laughs> exactly. I think it's a mistake. <laughs> it's le- yes, it's less than uh, Les Perelles in any case. Matt, yeah. was Les, it- Perelles, Les Perelles was very, very high. It was the highest, yes. and, but it's close. It's, it's never too ripe, you know? Uh, yeah. It was the last ripe uh, wine in, the, in, the, in 2015 because it's, a, it's, not gra- it's not grafted. And every time when you see some ungrafted vine, the, the maturity is a little bit less than the grafted wine. Every time. Oh, it's all right. Okay. Every time and every year. This year it was quite a, a high uh, level uh, alcohol uh, vintage, and the lowest alcohol was in Levin Centenaire. When we had four, close to 14 everywhere, the Centenaire was 1% one po- one less. Always. So it's not. I remember it close to 13.5, not more. Hmm. And the vines, of course, have managed to survive despite not being grafted, but they have survived. Uh, phylloxera has failed, failed to damage them. But you're in quite a, a sandy, a sandstone soil, and phylloxera is known not really to like sand. It's it's sand, and also uh, another point is very important. This is you have uh, some water, and also because uh, in this area the water go through the sand because this is a very draining soil, and after they find the rocks, they find. The, the 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 granite and the granite is not a fissurate rock so the, the the water never go through the rocks like in burgundy where you have a lot of fissuration of the limestone so the, the it's why they, they keep the the, the the water during uh, during the, the, the winter and also phylloxera doesn't like the water at all so i think the sand and water is the two points why the the, this vineyard and some of the vineyards haven't been touched by the, the phylloxera uh, in the, during the crisis. Mm. Well, it's a terrific wine to, to, to finish on. Uh, if we have any more questions for Thibaut or about um, Beaujolais in general, uh, we can look at those. Um, Thibaut, what are you drinking yourself tonight? What's your chosen wine this evening? Well, <laughs> I, I drink a Cru 12 and... Uh, I bring just to have a, a friend's coming. I drink right. a Bourgogne Ligoté 2014, and mm-hmm. uh, and also, but I don't tell to uh, to lot because it's in the other room. Uh, La Roche t- 2011, Moulin avant La Roche 2011. Ah, oh yes, which I have. I've been drinking your 2011s, <laughs> and we had your Aligoté in our Aligoté Zoom, and I drank your 2012 Clos Rougeau in Vienna on Monday night. Yes, I know, I know, I've heard <laughs> about. And very this. fine it was too. Okay, well, this might be a little bit embarrassing, uh, Thibaut, Olivier, but stay with us if you uh, would like to. But we have a tradition that we always put the wines to a vote. Uh, so I'm going to ask Cecilia to put up the... Uh, uh, and you're probably... I think you're allowed to vote as well. But uh, uh, So everybody, you have a chance to vote for any two of those wines. Uh, please make your, um, your, your two choices. 
and uh, then we will see what the what the result is. So please vote now. I don't know how many people have had the wine selection, um, but uh, okay. So let's count down from five, five, four, three, two, one. So I'm hoping that you have all now voted. So uh, let's have the answers, please, Cecilia. Very exciting. Oh, Thibaut, you won. Isn't that awful? And I didn't vote for you because I knew you do pretty well anyway. But uh, so it's a nice mixed spread. Um, uh, Jadot and Louis Boyer a little bit behind. Chateau de Moulinbon, Merlin, and Paul Jana are all fighting to be on the podium. But uh, Thibaut, you have uh, taken the show by storm with your uh, ancient, ancient vines. And also your, your, your brilliant way of expressing uh, what it's all about. So I thank you and uh, enjoy your Covujo and other wines uh, later on. And thank you also to Olivier and thank you to Edouard. Um, we'll probably leave it there in another minute or so, but I hope that that has given uh, you all a, a really nice view of what happens at the, how to express it, um, in a way the most serious end of Beaujolais, the wines which are most designed for the long term, the wines which can cope with, with uh, a certain amount of power and richness, and uh, I personally think they have delivered really, really well tonight. So uh, thank you all for joining. I will just check and see if we have a last message and the last uh, uh, question, but I think, uh, uh, I think we've covered it. Um, thank you, Maureen, for lots of comments uh, and it's great to see you. I hope you'll join us more often and uh, uh, we haven't seen you often enough in the past. Uh, Mark, you have, uh, uh, you've been a great stalwart and uh, I think we've answered your question. Um, and, a comment on Beaujolais and Beaujolais Nouveau I'll leave to another time because here with Moulin Vaughan we are absolutely the opposite of what Beaujolais Nouveau is about. This is about wines for uh, the really long term. So thank you all. Join us for my next event is Chambertin Claude Bez from six different producers. So that should be fun. We're going to try and alternate between some of the uh, really expensive uh, vineyards uh, and some things which are a little bit more accessible. And uh, Thibaut, what we've managed to do tonight is we've managed to have wines which are really high-class wines, but at an affordable price. So don't put your prices up too quickly. <laughs> I promise. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you all. And thank you, Cecilia. Behind thank you so much. Thank you. Good night.